The storytelling is how you reach the heart. The storytelling, in conjunction with understanding traditions, in conjunction with understanding that which is all around you, impacts the heart directly. We Africa must move forward. Where is our responsibility in everything that is happening in our continent? We can't simply say, I am innocent, just because you are able to accuse another person. No, we need to look for, how am I contributing? What have I done or what have I failed to do that is allowing the exploitation to continue? And the key thing about the storytelling is, it, it makes the generations aware that your ancestry has done that and been there already. And these are the implications of whatever scenario you're in, or these are the lessons learned of the past. We also are embedding the lessons learned in the story, so therefore you're attentive and you're learning something. And we've lost that. When we get back to storytelling, we've lost the art of the message behind the message. And that is important because there are the unwritten and unstated stories in the story, in every story. Hi, I'm Obehi Ewanfo, the author of the storytelling series for small businesses and content creators. In Obehi Podcast, we talk about the power of your story, your narrative, and why you should own your voice. Whether you are a small business owner, a content entrepreneur, or you simply want to build your influence, storytelling is probably going to be your best instrument to connect with your audience. So join the awakened few who are owning their voices. And let's get started with today's episode. Today's conversation is going to be very interesting because uh, we are looking at um, a strengthening African diaspora bond through storytelling. And of course, storytelling for those of us that are that are new in the in the series that we are doing here is something that we consider very important. It's at the centerpiece of what we do uh, because storytelling, as far as we are concerned, is everything. Because by story itself, we know where we are coming from, who we are, and how we interact with other people. Of course, able to use story to do all this uh, is something that we find very interesting. And looking at the peculiarity of our demography, those we are uh, concentrating on, which is the African diaspora, the use of story to sort of strengthen our bond. All right, uh, and earlier, so why don't we start with a little presentation of yourself? Just say something about yourself, uh, who you are and what you do. And of course, why not? Also, how people can um, benefit from your service. Then, of course, we move into the question and answer. Yes, yes, yes. So my name is Enolia Foti, and um, I was born and raised in New York City in Queens. And um, just a little bit to know about me that I graduated with my degree in mathematics for my bachelor's, my master's, I have an MBA. I work for a Fortune 500 company and um, I designed IT networks for a living at that time. I then went on to the second part of my life where we kind of redesign and refocus everything that we want to do. 
I did indigenous studies from around the world, and I've actually submerged with a numerous amount of tribes, the Ojibwe of Northern Canada, the Lakota of um, United States. I have worked with the Waiataha in uh, New Zealand, the Mapuche in Chile. Um, I've worked in Brazil with the Amazonian, a couple of the Amazonian tribes, and then here in, in Africa, I've actually been initiated as um, an Ovumbudu, and I am also initiated with the with the Kiros Indians of Peru, and I've studied with the Sangomas in South Africa. So that gives you a little bit of the fact that eclectically, culturally, I have a grand awareness. I am a grandmother elder. I am a entrepreneur, and um, social issues are very, very meaningful to me and for me in my heart. And that, that gives you a little taste of all of the different things that I've done and how, I've, uh, how my vision actually looks at in this world. That's interesting. That is powerful. Uh, you are a woman that have uh, uh, many dimensions looking at uh, all the different things that you do. <laughs> That's very interesting, yeah. actually. <laughs> absolutely absolutely i have the first question for you which is how does storytelling foster connection within the african diaspora i think that is where we should start from it's so thank you very much and um so when i sit here and i think about it first of all i introduce myself and you say okay well this person is from new york city what why are they attached to the african diaspora and um uh as it pertains to storytelling so i'm going to tell you right off the bat that I am sitting here in Angola, Africa, and I've lived in Angola for the last two years. And so in exposing, living, and sharing in the African diaspora and that which um, has impacted me directly, it is a very, very important um, piece and role because the storytelling is how you reach the heart. The storytelling in conjunction with understanding traditions, in conjunction with understanding that which is all around you impacts the heart directly. When we speak, there are many things that we speak about. We speak about how we wanna educate, how we wanna teach, how we want to impact the world around us. However, if you do not tell a compelling story, if you do not tell a story that is compassionate, if you do not tell a story that is relatable, then you've missed the opportunity. And many times you lose the people. So as I sit here in Africa and I've learned, I've been here during, and one of the times that speaks out to me the most is when Angola was celebrating its um, Independence Day. And for the first time as an American being here in Angola, I was listening to the way that Angola fought to find its independence. And so hailing from America originally, the only stories I had heard were the transcendental slave state uh, trade stories and how we fought on the American side, but to understand how here in Angola, they fought against colonialism and what that meant. And as each one of the tribal leaders stood up and represented all the hurt, the pain, 
the challenges that they went through in order to gain freedom and, and, and gain policy and to gain forward movement was, was just a, a story that I will never, ever, ever forget. As each person stood and as each tribal leader spoke and how their tribes were impacted and how they had to fought, fight um, the Portuguese was just, was, were stories that were so compelling, I, I will never, ever, ever forget. And it made me step back and it made me realize that everywhere that we go, we have history. Everywhere that you go, there is a story behind every face. There is a story behind every movement. There is a story behind even every place that you stand. And if you don't know that story, you're really missing a fundamental component of what it means to identify and understand and relate to people, places, and situations, and how things are seen. So um, it plays an important role. It plays a very, very important role. Thank you so much for that. Uh, that, that, that is important. That is, that is very important. Uh, of course, I don't know if you if you know at a point uh, in Nigeria, uh, the Nigerian government decided to remove history uh, from curriculum. <laughs> when I first heard of it, yeah. uh, talk. Wow, <laughs> you, you can't imagine a lot of terrible things that happened uh, in Africa sometime. That in Nigeria we didn't need to study history anymore. So I, I was asking the professor, but well, how could we, who is who is thinking? What are they thinking? What are they imagining that I should not know the history of my people? They, how am I supposed to find my place in this world? That is how horrible sometimes it can be when we say we are even so-called independent in Africa. So we are, not, we are talking of, of history, of story, of our experiences, of where we are coming from. If I don't talk about myself, who am I, where I'm coming from, I'm giving another person the opportunity to tell this story. And what chances do I have to be well represented in that story? Because what, what I'm beginning to also find out now is that in Nigeria, because uh, the government make it almost okay, you it's not, it's not important anymore. Of course, some individuals still study history because, okay, we are talking of human being. Even though you chain them on, this, uh, on, a, on, a, on a tree, sometimes some will still manage to, to find themselves out and still do whatever. Because we, li we like freedom so much. But the general public we always follow the dictate of the state that is of course that is a, a different argument altogether so what we find now is that in the general public in nigeria a lot of people find it difficult to relate in terms of history and of course this makes it very easy for the politician to manipulate and all of that anyway that is just by the way eh? that is just by the way just so that i wanted to to just say that it is very very it's sacrosanct that we know our story, that we tell our story, and we should be able to use it for our own good. All right, now, talking about story again, what do you think is the significance of storytelling in preserving and transmitting cultural heritage, say maybe within the African diaspora? I think this should be also important for us. Well, it's everything, okay? I mean, if you understand anything about Africa, you understand that all of our history was passed down orally. It was passed down by storytelling and that, you know, throughout history, those who were chose to pass down the historical events through storytelling were the ones that had impeccable memories. 
They were the ones that could remember every detail and they were the ones that would be able to tell a story such that they would never deviate or change any aspect of that story. It plays a significant role. You know, it's always been said that if you don't remember history, it can repeat itself. It is absolutely imperative that we tell these stories and we share these stories so that we can learn the lessons of history throughout our time so that it doesn't repeat itself, so that we can not only glean from the lessons learned, but improve upon how we move and navigate through the future. So it plays a significant role. To be able to tell a story and understand that as each generation is born, what happens is that as the generation comes, grows, and, and reaches, reaches maturity, that they believe that they're the only ones experiencing something. And the key thing about the storytelling is it, it makes the generations aware that your ancestry has done that and been there already. And these are the implications of whatever scenario you're in, or these are the lessons learned of the past. And so it's important to understand that because we do not experience things that have not been in cycles, that have, have not been repeated, that have not been encountered before, but we wouldn't know this unless the stories came to fruition. So it's a very, very important role that, that storytelling plays throughout history and throughout the rememberings and the recordings of what has taken place. Thank you for that. I just want to use the occasion to say that those that are in the audience, if you feel, if anything relates, um, you feel that you want to add to what we are sharing here, you are free to just raise your hand and we will add you to the room so you can you can air your view because we are here to also learn from each other we are here to also see your perspective because there is no way i can know your perspective until you express it but that is why i believe uh, in my podcast obey podcast that everyone has a story to share and of course by that i mean everyone have his or her vantage point for where you can explain or interpret reality uh, so it would be wrong for me to tell your point of view of the story. Only you can do that. So it is important that we say our own side of the story. And for, of course, for the people of African diaspora, we need to become the protagonist of our story. So that is absolutely important. Backing up what you guys are saying, um, I've listened to both of you actually, and I strongly believe in what you're saying. Because basically for Africa, for where we are right now, our lack of history, our lack of knowing who we are, it's basically played into what's happening in our world today because a lot of us are lost. It doesn't even on the continent of Nigeria, Africa, we're all lost. Most of us don't even know what's happened in the past. And in the diaspora, the same thing is happening. So our history for me, and this is one of the things we're trying to do is basically get the storytelling back into Africans, letting us know who we are, so we can actually have pride in what we used to be and bring that pride back as Africans all over the world. Because without that history, uh, the way I see us, a lot of us are just we're there, but we're not spiritually connected to to the motherland, and we need to bring that back. And just I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Aladili. Thank you. I appreciate that. Especially having been um, uh, exposed to many different tribes, what we wear and how we celebrate and take into consideration uh, food and what the Mother Earth provides 
is very, very significant and has a much great significant meaning. And the stories that we tell aren't just stories. A lot of times the stories that we tell are embedded with them and hidden within them, how we take care of the land, how we address the food that the mother that mother earth produces there's so much more than just the obvious story that's to be told so for example i know um that uh for example here in angola they will sing to the crops and the singing to the crops is not just about okay it's a a good day and i i feel like i just want to sing to the crops but the singing to the crops there's a vibration and in that vibration the plants matter actually picks that up. There's a connection between the person who is planting and, and the person who, uh, and, the, and the plant that's receiving that, 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 that song. There is the ancestors that, how they treated the, the land and how they got it to grow and prosper and to be fruitful is embedded in that song. And then the tradition of dressing and, and being prepared to deliver that song is the respect that we show to Mother Earth that here it is, it is time to harvest or you've given your fruit, we are grateful for your fruit. And um, we ask for you to produce more, but we respect what you've given us today. Um, whether it's fruit and the agriculture, whether it's water, it's, it's a mutual bond and respect that was always had between the land and those who dwell upon it. And we've lost that. We've lost it in imperative that we keep these traditions. They are significant. They help the plant understand that we respect it. It's what helps it be bountiful. And that bond, we've learned, we, we used to know how to live in harmony with that which we grew. And we've lost that connection in terms of the harmony of living with the plant and living with what Mother Earth provides us um, in, a, in a balanced manner and not a sense of entitlement, not a sense of, oh, it's time to pick it, it's time to grow it, take it, boom, grab it, you know, and I, I have nothing, I have nothing to say. So there's a lot there and it's a lot more than what needs to be. Thank you for that. You see, as you were explaining, a word that was continuously echoing in my ear uh, is um, it's gratitude. And uh, now, you see, uh, our culture, uh, I was saying before, uh, where your line, uh, I think, was disconnected, uh, is tied to the land. Therefore, it's tied to the nature because we are part of nature. Uh, of course, us respecting that means that we should treat our our nature and the natural world where we live in, uh, in respect. Uh, a, a good example would be um, the story of Kensarowewa. I don't know if you know, but of course, a lot of Nigerians that are in the room, they, they know the story very well. Now, all the thesis of Kensarowewa was very simple. It can be broken down into one line, which is, let's respect our nature. This is where we live. Otherwise, we are going to suffer. Yes. At that time, of course, uh, many people didn't hear of uh, global warming and the rest of it that we are talking about today. But that time, Kesarua was simply telling SHEBP, uh, and of course the Nigerian government, because uh, if the Nigerian government has been able to hold SHEBP accountable for what they were doing, they would respect 
the, the land of the Niger Delta, where millions of people have been uh, disoccupied, their land have been abused continuously. Actually, they have violated the land. This is not according to the tenet of our tradition, of our way of life. Because like you were saying before, Enola, if we, if we are going to be grateful to the land, you mean what we are doing in the Niger Delta, of course, this is being done by the European company that are operating on the land, is an abuse of the nature. And somebody yeah. is going to pay for it. It is the people that are living in that land that are going to pay for it. And we can see the evidence there. So I don't know if you want to spend some time on this idea of gratitude that the people in their consciousness, they know that their survival depends on the land. Therefore, it's only natural that they are grateful to the land so that they can have something to eat and therefore to live. What do you have to say about that more? I believe that all things have energy. I believe that all plant matter has energy. I believe that the earth has energy. And I believe that when we are grateful and we show gratitude, the energy responds. The things, the plants, the earth, the mother is fruitful because there's a mutual respect taking place be be between us. I believe that we as people have lost that which respects the earth. And therefore, everything is not consistent anymore. And there's something about going in nature that when we take the time to do it and we understand nature and we respect nature, we understand that nature always leaves us feeling better. We understand that nature always takes our woes and that when we spend time with nature that we are re-energized and that without the land, we cannot survive. She produces everything that we need in order to be, in order to live. And I, I think that there is some consideration that should be taken and a teaching that should really take place to all people, all people everywhere to learn to respect the mother because if she doesn't bear fruit and we don't eat, we die. It's as simple as that. So it's really, really important in my eyes. That sounds like common sense to me. It sounds like that what Kensaro Wewa was saying, I want to go back there again, was a common sense, but somebody did pay attention. There are consequences for that. All right, now, how do we lace storytelling into that so that um, those that are living today know that they didn't just get here by mistake, that, you know, a human being, as has been proven, is a product of millions, if not billions of years of nature in the making. We didn't just come the way we are today, being able to talk, be able to communicate, be able to organize our society. We have been building of the work of our ancestors for generations. Many times ago, we didn't even know how to move from one spot to another. We have to learn it. How to be able to communicate using the sophistication of the time that we have today. But all these have been built upon other people that have been here before us. And there is no way we can know this except somebody tells us, except we use this instrument that is called storytelling, except we tell ourselves what is going on. So how can storytelling contribute? to the sense of identity and maybe 
belonging among African diaspora community? Hmm, that's a good question. So how I would answer that is this. Storytelling needs to be a part of every day in everything that we do. We need to pause, take pause and tell stories. If we looked at our ancestors, our ancestors, because they weren't so overly consumed with, um, with uh, stimulus, stimulus coming from every direction that makes things distracting. In the past, we used to gather around and we used to listen to the elders and the elders would tell stories. They would tell stories of their lives. They would tell stories that have the lesson learned so that you as a younger person could navigate through life and understand that if these challenges and situations took place, this is how you navigate them. At least this is how your ancestors navigated them. We have so much overstimulus with, with video, TVs, and every, you know, our, our phones and this, that, and the other, that we don't take the time to listen. First of all, the art of listening, to fully embrace what we have been told, to, to take pause and to actually sit still and listen to the stories the stories of the motherland, the stories of our history, the stories of who we are, the stories that are passed down in our families from generation to generation. But what we do get is we get an abundance of overstimuli that now we even have our, how do I want to say it? We even have our, our, our world challenge with us, our framework of our world challenging us saying that people can't even hold their attention for more than 30 seconds, 20 seconds, make sure ads are short, make sure this is short. Nobody wants to read, nobody has the time to read. We're so busy, we're so this, we're so that, that we don't have the time to listen to the proper story, that we don't have the time to even digest what is being told to us that can be to our benefit. That all we have is graphics and, and 30 second responses, and I disagree with that. I disagree with that whole thought process. And I challenge it because the bottom line is that if we take the time to listen, if we take the time to take pause, number one, we're going to feel better. Number two, we're going to process better. Number three, we're exercising our brains better because we're taking in the totality of a story, we're processing it, we're learning the lessons from it. We are gaining and gleaning information from it that is beneficial to us, that helps us navigate life. And then in all of that, we can repeat it. We can repeat it to those that we care about and we can repeat it to those that we love. And it can have an impact. So I believe that storytelling is very significant and it's crucial because it's that story that's passed down from generation to generation to generation that's meaningful. It's that story that's passed on that shares in the lessons learned that help us not to repeat the same thing over and over again. It's that story that moves us and that shifts us, that helps us open up our outlook in life. 
And we don't have any of that if we don't take the time, if we don't take pause. And all we do is get bombarded with commercials and little clips here and, and, and a moment there and, and just bits of information. Because then what happens is that if you don't exercise the brain and allow it to process that which holds us for focus, then we lose it. And if we lose that, we lose everything. Thank you for that. Uh, in 2005, I, I wrote a book uh, titled Amended Stream Water. Uh, now, this book um, has been accepted uh, at the University of Verona as one of the books to be read by students in relation, of course, to African culture. Uh, now, one of the things I really find interesting in the book is that I started it, of course, with storytelling um, with the protagonist, the oldest man in the village. Name is Okobuji. He's coming from a land that is called Okobuji. I know this, of course, is taking place in my part of Nigeria. And this man, every evening, he would gather all the children. In fact, all the children in the in the village of Okobuji knew that they were going to to the to the house of Okobuji to listen to storytelling, and it was for them like the cinema. And they came there every day, every day. Now, in the story, at the point, I said, well, there is nothing of historical relevance that Okobuji has not told all the children of Okobuji. Yet, every evening, they came. They came there listening to story. What is it about? And another thing again that I also pointed out is, Nobody have assigned this duty to this elder. He assigned a duty to himself that this is something that must be done to tell the children their story. And what are these stories that he was telling them? About how their ancestors migrated from the ancient city of Benin to get to Isan, where we live. Who are our friends? Who are our enemy? What war have we fought? How did we cultivate our land? What kind of relationship did we, did we have with our land? What kind of festivals are here? What do we do? You see, all these are very important because like you said before, it helped us to even have a frame of reference. Because now I'm thinking back to me growing up uh, in my uh, Uromi, where I'm coming from. And then listening to a story, I am just like five years old. All the stories that, list, that I have been listening to then, they still have strong effect on me today, many, many years later. So storytelling, I think, is more than just hearing words. There is emotion highly embedded in it, and there are rituals that are embedded in it that make it work. But here, I would also like to ask you, Enolia, because you move around a lot, what do you have to tell me about maybe how people see the, the ritual of storytelling, if I were to use the word like that, the idea of storytelling? Because if you look at all the creatures that are in existence, we are special or we are different, let me put it that way, in that we tell our story. And this, our, this telling of our story helped us to build the, the metropolis that we have today. 
It helps us to build the credit system because I can believe what you are telling me, even though I don't see it. The American, the American for example, they organize themselves, they say they are going to Congo. They tell the people of Congo, I am going to dig a, land, a, a hole on your land because I have the resources inside this ground, which, is, which belongs to you. And I'm going to pay you back by giving you uh, some paper. This paper was printed the other day in America. How did we come to be able to accept that this is the reality? Because if you ask me, how many of that dollar, the dollar B, can we actually pack from the United States to refill that hold back in Congo or in Angola or in Nigeria? We know, of course, that it would not work. But we have a story around it. And that story helps us to accept that that is the reality. What do you have to say about that? That's a huge question. Each of us approach that viewpoint of what is meaningful to us in a different way. How do you compensate the fact that many, many lives were impacted forever and will never be the same, ever, ever? We only know the stories that we were told. We understand what the impact has, has resulted in. We understand that this is a way that could potentially resolve the issue, but does it really? Does it resolve what is in the hearts of those who are impacted the most? Having seen both sides of it, I, 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 I don't know that I could even resolve that in my heart. But what I do know is the stories I knew about Africa that I was told when I was young. And it impacted me. I can remember the first song, Fungi Alafia Ashe Ashe, the song of welcome, welcoming me back to Africa in dance. And I don't know why I will always remember those songs, the, the words of that song. But I remember the words of that, that song because it had that great of an impact to me. Each one of us is shaped by those around us, the loved ones around us, their attitudes, their, their, their ability to, to basically have a viewpoint as to how they would like to proceed in life. And we're impacted by that because that's what we're exposed to. That's what we know. So if my family was very angry about this, I probably have an angry attitude because that's where it's sourced from. Um, that's where it starts. Now, if I open up my eyes and, and take in more information, it may change. I don't know. But the thing about it, when I look at Congo, when I look at those who are impacted, now that I know the stories of colonization on one side and, and slavery on the other side, it's, it's very hard to see that anything could truly, truly compensate for what either side went through. So I leave that up to those in their own hearts as to what is solved and what's not. But I know that being here in Africa and learning what I've learned and speaking with people that the stories in the West of who Africa is and what Africa is has to change. Because 
Africa's heart is wide open and the people have welcomed everyone home. And that to me is the most important piece. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate that you decided to say something about the conversation that we have just now. Uh, please, yeah, the mic is yours. We are listening to you. Yeah, um, hi, everyone. I, I hope you're all having a wonderful day. You know, um, life is really very interesting indeed. And, uh, we all have to grapple with some of the issues that we have individually. You know, but I think it's a reflection of how awakened we, we are in our consciousness that at a point in time in our lives, some of the things we become preoccupied with go beyond our individual issues. We begin to become interested and troubled by, you know, communal issues, you know, maybe national issues or even racial issues. Uh, our sense of responsibility or um, commitment begins to expand, I think. Now, the thing is that I, there's a, there are a lot of issues, you know, uh, pertaining to the continent of Africa. I mean, we all know what happened with slavery and all of that. Now, the thing is, the way I look at this thing is, if we don't solve this problem ourselves, when I mean ourselves, I, I mean we Africans, who are committed enough. And I really do feel deep in me that when we are committed enough, we would be, we would be compelled to do something. No bully would ever stop bullying until some kind of force that is superior to the force that they can bring to play is brought to bear. And I don't think any thief or armed robber or so someone would willingly return whatever they have stolen or stop stealing unless there's some kind of action, you know, to, to dissuade them from doing it. So we can't, we can't be looking to the bullies. We can't be looking to the thieves and the exploiters and the marauders to help us solve this problem. And I can understand that there might be several possible channels such as maybe going to to the courts you know maybe based on some treaties and all of that but until we as sons and daughters of africa begin to do certain things take definite steps no matter how small they are like i do in my own small sphere for instance we could set up small programs maybe get a, a small space with five computer systems get in touch with young people you know primary school students secondary school students you see the thing is solving a problem it's it's like painting it's not just one paint brush and then you know a masterpiece is created it takes probably thousands i mean i'm an artist to a certain extent it takes several thousands of small paint brushes strokes here and there and then at the end of the day, maybe in a month, in, in a year, in some cases with people like Michelangelo, Botticelli and all of that, probably even take, takes years before the masterpiece is completed, the Sistine Chapel and all of that. So we must take some steps, you know? I, I talk to a lot of young people around me and they know me very well. I'm a very principled person. 
Once I cannot trust you, I cut you off. So it is, they all know that when you want to be with this man, and he's a fair man, I'm very generous with them, you know, they know that once you want to be with this man, then you have to be a straightforward person. What I'm doing by doing that, even though that is not my intention really, is that I'm teaching them the principles of integrity, of being able to be trusted. And all of these things will reflect globally. I mean, we have terrible reputation, you know, in as much as a lot of our raw materials, you know, are being plundered. And the plundering is not even done without the, the, collision, the collusion of our own brothers and sisters. That is just the fact. You know, we have a proverb in, Europe, in Yoruba land that if the wall doesn't have a crack, a lizard cannot come in. You know, so we have insiders, we have, we have inside men and women that, that enable these people to come and exploit us. So we must, we must, if we truly care, this is not a demand. I'm just saying that we can't wait for the bully to stop bullying us. Something must be done to the bully. You know, we, you can't wait for the armed robber. If they come to your house today and they know that you just got a new TV set and they rob you of that TV set and then you walk hard again and get another one, they probably come back unless there's some kind of force that would make sure that they, they suffer a certain consequence that is final and discourages them from doing so. You know, so it doesn't have to be a major global international program. You know, we can just touch the lives of a few people, five here, ten there, even three, two. And the thing is that if you touch people's minds, it's, it's more powerful. You know, eventually we would have enough young people that believe in themselves, that understand that the fact that I'm African doesn't mean that I'm inferior. That's one. Then secondly, it, it, they would get to that point that they realize that, okay, well, I can actually be in Africa and make it. I can, I can be a content creator. I can be someone who produces intellectual property. And that has a global market. I don't have to depend on, you know, commodity alone. I mean, so that's just, you know, the, the way I look at this thing. We can't wait for these people to help us. They won't. I mean, it's just, it, psychologically, it won't happen. The thief will not stop stealing. He will not stop stealing because it be, there's no, I mean, um, there, there's no motivation for the thief to stop stealing. The benefit is in stealing. He profits from stealing. You know, thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, <laughs> in 2010, I wrote a book that I titled or that developed in Africa, My Hands Are Clean. And of course, the thesis of that book was pretty simple, that we Africa must look for where is our responsibility in everything that is happening in our continent. We can't simply say, I am innocent, just because you are able to accuse another person. No. You need to look for how am I contributing? What have I done or what have I failed to do that is allowing the exploitation to continue? Because I believe that if the people of Africa have put their ass together, the other that are coming will ask for what is the term of negotiation. But currently as we stand, we only need to append our signature to what have been prepared in either Washington, in Rome, or in Paris. Because unfortunately, we don't have anyone to stand up and say, we are not going to take that. You know, a good example would be, <laughs> you know, some people decided that they were going to eliminate Gaddafi. 
Um, yeah, I know that is a tough one. Uh, but why did they do that? They did that because they know nothing will happen. And of course, nothing happened. Because the rest, I just say, ah, okay, well, yes, uh, they said. The question is, but what about you? Somebody is coming to take that another man in your land. What are you going to do about it? Are you just as weak as that? That is the way we are. Anyway, that is by the way. Now, Enolia, uh, uh, I still put this question to you again. Listening to what Oluwaseyi uh, has said, that we need to take action. We need to act. We don't need to just expect other people to do it for us because it's never going to happen. Not even in a billion years from now. What can we do looking at maybe a storytelling, looking at maybe be able to uh, let the people even understand what is going on? What do you suggest? I don't know. I believe it starts with our young. I, I agree with the gentleman um, uh, that it begins with our, our youth because they are going to change everything. First of all, we have to stop telling ourselves the story here on the African continent. We don't have enough. There is enough of everything. And what we don't have enough of, there's an attitude that needs to change that just basically says we are stronger together. We need to work together. We are stronger together. And um, if, if we do that, I, I think that that makes a significant change in the direction of how people come up. We take because we always feel like there's not enough. There's not enough of this. There's not enough of that. But how do we change that, that story? How do we change that story of not enough? We become, self, we become self-sufficient. We become self-sufficient in everything. It's a great thing to be able to work for something that exports. But what happens if we work for something that no longer exports, but makes completely that which would be exported right here and have enough? We want to build things here. Well, why don't we look at things that can be built and make sure that all of the piece, parts, and components are built here? We have enough. We have enough in terms of resources. We have enough in terms of, of everything. We just have to work together to build it. Some of the pieces that I do with entrepreneurial conversations is that the West teaches you to divide and compete, divide and compete, divide and compete. You know, this is mine. This is my territory. This is my stuff. But, you know, what happens if we worked in opposition? We work together for everything. We work together to build it. I don't have enough, you don't have enough, but together we have enough. You know, I wanna do this, I have this expertise, you wanna do that, you have the complementary expertise. We work together and we build together. A paradigm shift to me needs to take place. That's what has to take place. But how do you do that? You have to unlearn a lot of what you learn that puts you on a stage right? The indigenous teach that we don't work from a stage where one person is on top and everyone talks to the other. We work in a circle. We work in a circle because no one's above you, no one's behind you, no one's below you, no one's in front of you. That we all stand equally in circle together and we may be looking at the same thing from different viewpoints, but we complete the circle. We complete the circle. And you do that 
because you're all on equal footing and standing. Thank you so much for that again. You see, that is that is something very visual. Actually, I'm seeing what you are talking about. I'm not just hearing, I'm seeing it. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, um, let's let look at it again, just slightly from on the political front. That, say, everybody is actually in a circle because, because that is how we have evolved. We have evolved as a circle because we are really in circle. That is how everything, everything are. Because if we were like a square, we would get lost. Because you are going, where are you going? Whereas in a circle, you are moving around, you are coming back again to where you, where you started from. So you are never going to get lost. You are never going to go away because you are within the circle. Now, how would this make any sense within the political system, for example, looking at most political structures in Africa? It will mean that I, the president or a political leader who is appointed to uh, fulfill a certain function within an administration is within the circle of the people. Whatever I do is going to affect me, it's going to affect my people. I have nowhere to run to. If this enters into my consciousness, whatever I do must put the people in the forefront. But that's not how it is in Africa. How it is, let me use Nigeria as a point of reference, so at least I'm not overgeneralizing, is that somehow it is in the consciousness of the politicians that they can get away with whatever they are doing, that they can, after all, run to Rome, run to Paris, run to Washington. But that is no longer circle. You are breaking out. And as you are breaking out, like uh, Chuno Achebe said, you are putting a knife in the thing that is holding us together. How can we stand? The center is broken. So we cannot stand like that. So we must return back to when it was a circle. All of us are the one, like, uh, like you said, completing the circle. If I am not in it, it's not complete. It doesn't mean I am the biggest, I am the strongest, I am the most intelligent. It's just because I am part of the circle. And the circle need me just like I need it to work. I think it is basic, but it is very fundamental. Now, another thing I would like to ask you uh, is that since we are considering the African diaspora, and the African diaspora are people that are found in different parts of the world. Because just now, I am in Italy. Uh, some of our, our, our guests here are in Nigeria. You are in the US. Uh, some other person is in, is in Angola. Now, what role will technology, such as maybe digital platforms, social media play in facilitating storytelling and connecting individuals within the diaspora? So that even though we are not within a small space just now, we can see connect among ourselves and begin to tell this to reinforce this continuously. Mm, so it's interesting. I look at it in this way, that 54, 54 countries make up the circle of Africa, the continent of Africa. And we need to complete that circle. We need to be working together in unity. We need to be focused on the same thing so that we act as one. Culture connects us back to our home country. You may be in Italy, but you didn't represent yourself as an Italian, you represented yourself as a Nigerian. You don't forget that which has been planted within your heart 
always. And so you participate in that circle. You created a platform. You have the conversation. You talk about the importance of storytelling. You talk about the importance of why would we ever let go of history? And so as we come together and as we prioritize, we have to just simply communicate and have the conversation. What's important, what we need to do and how we need to act. And then, you know, again, it's powerful to act when, when we act together. And I think that that's the first lesson that needs to be learned. That's the simplest, yet the hardest lesson that needs to be learned. And then what happens is that 54 countries that make up the continent of Africa actually takes responsibility for each other as well as themselves. Maybe it's something that will never be achievable, but I am not afraid to say it out loud. Thank you. Why should we be afraid? We should not be afraid to say it because if we don't say it, then it doesn't even enter into uh, the conversation because people don't know. But, but I really salute that courage, even though. Well, I don't. Say, well, maybe maybe afraid's not the right word, but here it is. It's counterintuitive to everything that we've learned. Everything that we've learned has always been like, well, I got mine. You get yours. Well, I'm taking care of my country. You take care of yours. And, and, and we're right next door to each other. We're right with each other. We, it's so counterintuitive in everything that we've ever learned. Everybody wants to be front and center stage. Everyone wants to be a, a, a little bit above the rest. And it's counterintuitive. It's, it's unlearning what you learn in order to perform and, and be a better, be, be positioned better, be in a better way. That's why I say it. All right. Thank you for that. Maybe uh, because we are responding to, to the stimulus of another person. We are responding to the plan of, of other people. You see, somehow some people believe, particularly here in the West, that we are not able to organize ourselves as Africans, that mm -hmm. we, cannot, we cannot do it together without them. But because these people, they don't know our history. Because if they know our history, they should have understood. Of course, they know our history, but they don't want to admit that. But at least for us, Africans, we need to know our history, understanding that for thousands of years, we have been collaborating among ourselves. It doesn't mean we have been speaking one language in Africa. It doesn't mean we have been having one country in Africa. We have been fighting wars, but we have also been making peace. We have been trading. We have been selling, we have been buying, we have been building empire, it have been, it have been collapsing, they will be building more. The history of Africa did not start with colonialism. It's actually an interruption of the history itself. So that when they say, ah, we cannot do it together, but since when have we not been able to do it together anymore? Great empires in Africa were not even monocultural. For example, take a look at the empire of Mali, bigger than the whole of Western Europe. That is not even 1,000 years ago. That was only a few hundred years ago, 1240th century. So it means that we are able to do it. We have done it many times, but why can't we do it anymore? Because we are reciting the script of another person that told us that we cannot because we are different. 
the differences have never been a problem for us. In fact, deep inside the African consciousness, differences is not seen as a defect. It is seen as a value. It means that, ah, thanks to you, I cannot see it from another perspective. It is not, ah, because you are different, you are a threat. That is not how differences are perceived in African consciousness. Let me make a very simple example with that. In typical African culture or spirituality, let me just go straight to that. If maybe, for example, uh, I am somebody coming from a certain part of Africa and I say, this is how we do things in my culture, in my religion, in my tradition, by African tenets of spirituality, that should not be a threat. That should simply mean, ah, okay, that is not how we do it, but now I have this to learn. That is something new to learn. Because we don't know everything. We don't pretend to know everything. That the fact that you are speaking Yoruba and speaking Igbo is not a problem. It means value. It means added value. Do you think, Enolia, uh, and maybe also Oluwasei, uh, maybe if you want, you can respond to this. Do you think storytelling can be an instrument to be able to challenge the cycle that we that they have created for us, the square that they have created for us to live, so that we can sort of rebuild our identity? Do you think storytelling can help us to do this? How can it happen for us? I absolutely believe that storytelling can can be a a very very powerful tool, and I believe that again we tap into to our our busy lives with with cell phones and 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 television and all of these different things you know what happens is that they are distractions they are distractions from what is taking place all around you and if you, if you took these distractions away you would have a very, very powerful tool. I think it's imperative that we get back to storytelling. I think it's important that it plays a role in the life because what happens is that when you tell a story, a person has to focus. And we're losing our focus each and every day, more and more and more. When you tell a story, you have to listen. And we're losing how to listen in our listening skills every single day because of the distractions and interrupt-driven processes and interrupt-driven you know, uh, expectations of, I have to reply to somebody immediately because a message came through. When we get back to storytelling, we also are embedding the lessons learned in the story. So therefore you're attentive and you're learning something. And we've lost that. When we get back to storytelling, we've lost the art of the message behind the message. And that is important because there are the unwritten and unstated stories in the story, in every story. It's like the unwritten rules when you're engaging in working in an office. Here are the things you should just know, but you don't know. They don't have to be said out loud. So you know them, they don't have to be said out loud, but you understand that they're present and they're part of all that you do and all that, that you engage in. I think that we're losing something every single day by not hearing the stories. We're also losing the respect for those who tell the stories. 
the people who have been here longer than us that have stories to tell that are important stories that help us to understand that we don't have to repeat the same problems and challenges over and over again. There's something in telling stories in each and every way. It helps you change your viewpoint so you stop seeing things narrowly or one way. Maybe opening up your mind to see something in 360 degrees from above, from below, changing your viewpoint on how to look at that which is being described to you. There is something to be said about storytelling in every respect. So yes, I think it's important. I think it's imperative. It gets us back to what we're strongest at, which is speaking to the conscious, but speaking to the subconscious. It gets us back to opening up our viewpoint and expanding our view. It gets us back into focusing so that we don't turn around and say, oh, people can't focus more than 10 seconds on a particular item, so you have to do a video clip 30 seconds or less. You know, It gets us out of all of that framework and it teaches us how to listen to one another in, in its entirety. So yes, I absolutely think it's important and imperative. It is true, we can listen to each other. If that is one of the things I had to do when I started my podcast, the Overhead Podcast, that I hear people complaining all the time that there is no, there is no time. Our people don't have time to listen. But I said, I have a podcast that I've listened to. This video, uh, okay, actually it's an audio. It's three hours long, and I've listened to it for more than ten times because I find value in it. If what you are doing have no value, even if, if it is three minutes, it's still too long. But if there is value in it, come on, where are we going? We have time. That is, we are not going anywhere. We are not running away. Thank you for that. All right, Mr. Oluwasei, it's your turn. Please speak something to our consciousness. Yeah, uh, thank you, Obey. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that I just uh, came in here today. And immediately I saw, you know, I basically tried to connect with you for a while. We were supposed to have a chat and all of that so that we can see how we can collaborate, you know, but for one reason or the other, we've just not been able to. So immediately I saw this, you know, when I came into LinkedIn, I said, no, I have to make sure that today, you know, I would come in and just listen in and interact with all of the people that are in here. Now, the thing is that, uh, I I cannot I cannot be certain if I'm historically correct, you know. But Af as Africans, I think we we are known for storytelling, you know. I remember when I was growing up, we used to have what we call cockerel at dawn and tales by moonlight on the TV, you know. And we would make sure my dad actually got a TV set that could use a car battery to power it so that we would not miss you know tales by moonlight now and i remember that my grand my granddad my maternal granddad you know um who was a chief when we when we go to the village we will sit you know at his feet and he would tell us stories you know very very beautiful stories that had you know the the ideas and the qualities of courage of fairness you know of uh, of people being vindicated in the end, you know, even though they were they were 
they, they were scorned originally, in spite of the fact that they, they, they demonstrated integrity and all of those things. So I must agree with you without any shadow of a doubt. Storytelling is very important. And I think it has to do with our very DNA as Africans. You know, the, the question now is, how can we do it? Um, and earlier mentioned a couple of things, a couple of challenges that we have, you know, um, with regards to how effective uh, storytelling can be now, you know, with social media, with mobile phones, you know, with emails and all of those things that demand immediate response, you know, and then the, 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 the bombardment that we do, the flood of information that we, we have from so many sources, you know, YouTube and all of those places. Information, the, the, the flood of information that makes us feel that if we don't catch a bit of this or a bit of that, then we will be left behind or we will miss something important and all of that. That is the, the perception, you know, that has been created in the minds of many of us who have been unable, you know, to hold our place and make take that decision that I would make the decision on which sources I will seek out, you know, to get my information from. So now, having considered all of those challenges, the question is, do we then fold our arms and say, okay, because of all of those things, we would then not do anything that it, it would be futile for us to make an effort? I, I don't think so. Now, the thing is, I really believe that our hope as a people is really in touching the minds of the youth. Let me explain why I formed that thought a long time ago. I remember that when I finished secondary school, I was going to read medicine. But because computer science department was set up in my school, and as one of the leading students, top students, I was given you know, the responsibility to coordinate the department. I fell in love with computing. I've never looked back since. That was the reason why you know, I basically changed from medicine to computer science. Now, my mom was not too happy about that because, you know, in Africa, in Nigeria, at least I can speak about Nigeria specifically. When you're like a top student, when you're a brilliant student, you know, your family expects you to, to read medicine, to become a medical doctor. And it's, it adds to the prestige of the family, you know. It makes the parents proud and the family proud, you know, apart from the fact that, well, you, 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 it's expected you know, that you will do well financially and materially. So what my, my mom was not happy with me. She quarreled with me, you know, and um, I didn't listen. Now, what she did was I had a godmother. She went and called my godmother. And when my godmother came, I listened. This is the psychology I want to share with us in this, you know, um, in, in this event. I realized that sometimes when you bring people from outside to speak with children, I don't understand it. Only this, only psychologists will probably and psychiatrists will probably understand this. For some reason, they give an allowance, you know, some kind of allowance to those people. You know, they give them that kind of respect that, okay, well, this person is someone that I don't know before, and then is, is a new person, and the person is at this level. Let me give this person, you know, an audience. Let me give the person some 
you know, benefit of that and listen to them. And I think that is what happens too sometimes in African countries where, you know, people would give some kind of, you know, excessive regard to foreigners, you know? So I think we, if we want to help our, our continent and our, and our countries, we can exploit that in working with, you know, the youths of our countries. And that's part of some of the programs I'm working on in collaboration with some of my friends in the United States and other places. This is the idea. What I'm thinking is that we set up a simple place, you know, like a computer training place, you know, because in Nigeria, for instance, and most African countries, I think, the economies are mono, you know, product economies, meaning that they're, they're based purely on raw materials, you know, like in Nigeria, it's crude oil. You know, it's a, it's a, a single product ec economy. Meanwhile, raw materials, crude oil, and all of those things, they are not, they don't, the, the supply is not infinite. So we need to begin to transition to intellectual property. You know, I'm not talking about just content, I'm talking about real intellectual property, software, games, you know, um, applications and things like books and so on and so forth now if we set up a place a simple place it doesn't have to be too expect too costly five systems solar panel maybe two solar panels so that it's not too expensive this is the idea they will come in to do training for free for computer training but what would happen is that once a week one of us in the in the diaspora will get an opportunity to have a Zoom call with them and speak with these young people. Now, what that would do is that it is possible that it will transform their minds that, oh, okay, this person is a Nigerian. He is from this state. He is in this country. He is doing so well. That means it's possible for me to also do well without resorting to maybe being a scammer or without me resorting to this and all of that, it opens up a world of possibilities for them. And the, the person in the diaspora, the, the professional or the business owner doesn't have to do more than five or 10 minutes of this interaction session with the, with the young people. And the training is free for computer training. Now, the question would be, how would this be funded? Well, this can be funded by building that program around an actual business with this has always been my dream now i run a small graphic and web design you know um firm and i generate some income you know i have uh, some revenue i have some clients in united states and other parts of the world what we can do with that is that we can find someone who's in the diaspora that has a business or is it a professional what we will do over here is look for business opportunities for the business that they are into or the services that they provide what happens is that when they secure business a percentage of the the income or the revenue from that business is used to run the program that way the the program is sustainable we don't need any nike we don't need any company to sponsor or to donate but if if we're able to secure that fine but that means that we will not be dependent purely on that, you know. And these young people, by the time they go home and they say, "Oh, in the in the in the streets where they live, oh, I spoke with uh, this person spoke with me from Italy. He's a Nigerian. Wow, 
And then the boy, it's possible. I'm not saying in every case of the five trainees that we bring in that the five will turn out the way we expect, even if it is one. What happens is that after six months, we take in another cohort, we take in another group. The thing is that influence behavior, when you influence behavior, there's nothing more powerfully infectious and contagious than it. You know, when his friends come to the house to call him to come and play or to go and do something that they used to do that might be negative. And he says, no, I have one small re uh, revision that I need to do because if I go tomorrow for my computer training, which is free, which my parents are not paying for, and yet I'm learning something new, it's opening a wall of wonders to me. If I don't go with my revision completed, they will not let me in, you know? All of these things would influence those other ones. Oh, please send me to... And I'm telling you this because I know. I have young people that I do training for. That when they come, sometimes, they actually... Some of their schoolmates, like two or three, actually come with them. You know, and then they drag their parents to come and all of that. So, I don't see any other way. Because United States, United Kingdom and Europe, they are so powerful. They are powerful with CIA, with MI6 and all of those people. They have agents on ground in every country, in Africa, everywhere, in fact, in the world. If they see that we're, we're taking steps that will change their access to some of what we have freely without them paying what they should pay, and we're going to turn around our lives from being people who are controlled, people who live based on the scripts of others, instead of telling our own stories and deciding our own step, they will take definite actions against it. But if we start with such programs, what happens is that we're influencing the minds of people, young people, and it would be, a, it will multiply. And it will get to a point in time, it will be like a fait accompli, really. It will be, it will be checkmates, really. You know, that is my thought. So storytelling is actually the key. It's actually the key. I agree with you. Thank you so much for that. You, you know, the only thing I'm really, really regretting is that the audio was was bad. But anyway, the message was gotten. It was driven home. Anyway, like you said, uh, we have been trying to connect. But after this uh, event, we should try to connect and really do something, plan out something uh, concrete. That is a, a possibility. I, I assure you, we, we will come to that. I want to really thank all of you that have participated in this event. It will really be uh, an honor on my part. And of course, it's not something that ends today. We are in, in a continuous process. We need to bring in more people. We need to continue to talk about this uh, uh, this situation because it is absolutely fundamental. Uh, okay, I was just uh, going to close. And let me uh, give Ali. Ali, you want to say something? Please come up and air your view, but be very brief, okay? All right, go on. I'm... Uh... I'm a professional African storyteller. Um, that's how I earn my living across the world. So I haven't been able to access your previous things. I just wanted to say um, it's it's wonderful that you've been doing that. I'm currently active in doing that sort of work and will be working with someone called Kriyo Chinieri, who will be developing uh, the African Storytelling Festival in Ghana this year um, and has been doing that for the last 12 years. Uh, so I, it, I will speak more about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it in future uh, future sessions. But I just wanted to say thank you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. 
Thank you so much, Ellie. We appreciate that. In fact, we are here for this connection. And of course, I just sent you uh, a connection request so you can pick it up from there. This is what we do. We are here to connect and we believe that we are able to leverage on our experiences. Uh, uh, we, are, we are here this time. We are not making mistakes at all. But the fact that this is the time we are connected here, it means this is the right time. So let's leverage it and let's uh, move on with that. All right, the last word is going to come from uh, Eniola. Uh, what would be your final thought here, considering what we have discussed today? Maybe a kind of a message, or you just wrap it up the way you feel it should make sense. Please go ahead and do that. Life is nothing but a story. It's how well you talk about it. It's how well you project it. It's the intonation of your voice. It's the compassion in your heart. It's the understanding of how it lands on the ears. It's the love of what you say. It's the power of your voice. It's your view and how you're able to expand it. It's the view and how you're able to focus it. Storytelling is the foundation of all that we are. So the question is, how will you tell your story? And I'll leave it at that. Wow. <laughs> anyway, Nolia, you know, you are super. Thank you so much for the sharing. And that is also, that was very deep. Anyway, I'm not going to add anything to that. I want us to, I want that to go to digest in us. 